next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about um, some, some resolutions, maybe not necessarily New Year's resolutions, but just some self-resolutions. We're going to be talking about some things that might need to change in our lives. Because I don't know about you, but the last couple of years have been difficult. The last couple of years have been difficult. It's been difficult for a lot of reasons. You know, we went through the whole shutdown phase. We went through the everybody's got to stay at home phase a couple of years ago. Um, we went to everybody's going to be back in action. And then, and then we've got all the different waves of every single variant of every single Greek name you can throw at it. And, and now we've got a transformer name. Um, so we've got all kinds of different variants of a, of a disease that's going through. And then, and then you've got the stomach bug just hit everybody. Has anybody had the stomach issue yet? If you haven't, it's on its way. I promise you. I promise you. And Pastor Jonathan is steady trying to give it to everybody he can. He's like, I'm not going to be alone in this. I'm going to give it out. So, so we've had all kinds of stuff happening. Stock market up and down. People, you know, invading the, the, the capital. I mean, we've got all kinds of craziness and, and weird things that have happened over the last couple of years. And so for some of us, here's the thing. For some of us, our life has actually changed over the last couple of years and not necessarily for the better, right? For some of us, there's been some areas of our life that have, that have been uh, left behind, some areas of our life that we haven't really shown enough attention to, like my dad talked about earlier this morning, that, that there's some areas that we need to pay a little bit more attention to because there's some things in our life that maybe have been put on the back burner that shouldn't have been, some things that have kind of broken down that we should have been fixing up. And so today, um, this series is all about that. The series in these two books of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, it, one of the things you need to understand, first of all, is it, when they were originally written, they were written as one book, not necessarily two books, but they're broken apart for our purposes to help us be able to read them, right? So, so it's, really, it's really one book, and, and really in the book, there's three people that you need to know uh, in this book, and it's not just Ezra and Nehemiah. There's also a guy, the first guy that starts off the book, but he doesn't get his name put in it because his name is super long. His name is Zerubbabel, right? They never named the book after him. They probably couldn't spell it. And so Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah are the three main people in this book, in this, in this story here. And, and what's happening is, is, is these guys have all been in captivity in Babylon. So, so Israel served God for a while and then eventually stopped serving God. They began to stop worshiping him. They began to worship other, uh, other gods. They began to intermarry with other cultures. They began to bring in all of this foreign stuff into their, into their culture that they shouldn't have done. They began to disobey God. They began to grow cold against God. And, and so all of a sudden, God finally says, listen, I've had enough. I've warned you, and I've warned you, and I've warned you. I've been patient with you, but now I'm going to have to remove you from the land. Like, I'm going to bring in uh, the Babylonians, and they're going to bring you into exile. And so a lot, of, a lot of Israel got taken into exile. These guys are some of the guys that lived in exile. And so, so while they were in exile, there were many prophecies that came out about how God was going to restore Israel, and God was going to bring people back. And it started with Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was actually one of the first ones to bring people back to Jerusalem, back to Israel. And whenever he came back, his sole purpose was to rebuild the temple that had been broken down and burned down and was destroyed. And so his thought was, I'm going to come back, I'm going to rebuild the temple. And that was his goal and that was his dream and that's what he did. He came back and he began to reestablish the temple. And not just reestablishing the temple itself, but you've got to understand that the temple represented more than just a building. Today our churches really um, are not much more than a building uh, to, to most people. But in Israel's time, the church, the temple represented so much more. It represented the actual dwelling place of God. Now we know, we know New Testament says we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, that God lives in us and through us. But for them, it was all represented by that one building. 
So Zerubbabel says, we're going to rebuild the temple, and he gets it done. And then Ezra shows up on the scene to help him out. And when Ezra shows up, he says, we got to rebuild the culture. Like, we got to get a, a hard reset here on our culture because our culture is so divided. And we've, we've brought in these other gods, and we've brought in these other customs, and we've, we've stopped living uh, the, the lifestyle and the community that we're used to. And so I've got to help us reset. And so Ezra comes in and studies the Word of God and preaches the Word of God. And his whole goal is to get everybody back on track culturally and community-wise. And then Nehemiah shows up and Nehemiah says, I've heard the stories of Jerusalem. I've heard from my friend Nehemiah, Ezra and how the walls of Jerusalem are broken down. Yeah, we've got the temple built. Yeah, people are trying to, trying to live for God. They're trying to do the right things. They're trying to learn all this stuff. But the walls are not there anymore. And so that our enemies can just come in and out anytime they want to. And so we've got to come down and rebuild the walls. And so Nehemiah shows up on the scene and he rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. So those are the three main things that happen in this story. They, they have to rebuild the temple, they have to uh, reset the culture, and they have to restore the walls. And so, so for the next few weeks, those are the kind of things we're going to be talking about here. We're going to talk about what does our life look like moving forward in 2022? What are the areas that we need to rebuild, right? What are the areas that have been broken down that need to be built back up? What are the areas that need to be reset in our culture, in, in the way we do things, in the way we live, in the way we move? What are the areas of our life that maybe have been broken down that need to be restored? You know, there's some areas of protection, some, some, uh, some areas of structure, some areas of, uh, of boundaries that need to be restored in our life that we've kind of allowed to just get real loose. And so those are the things we're going to talk about. But here's a problem. I got a couple problems with this book. Because the Bible says that by the time you get to the end of the book, Nehemiah shows back up. So Nehemiah rebuilds the walls. He leaves, goes back to Babylon because he had a job he had to do. He comes back to visit. When he comes back to visit, the Bible says he looks around the city and notices that everything is going back to the way it was. He says the people are still intermarrying with other cultures and bringing in foreign gods. He says they're no longer worshiping God the way they're supposed to worship God. They're, 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 they're building things around the walls that shouldn't be built. They're doing things that shouldn't be done. And, and Nehemiah looks at it and he says, this is a catastrophe. All this work that Zerubbabel did, all this work that Ezra did, all this work that I did, and now look at it, it's all going down. In the very end of the book of Nehemiah, he says to God, he says, God, just remember that I tried, you know? Have you ever done that before with your New Year's resolutions? You're just like, I tried. You know, God, if anything, I at least try. I tried to read my Bible. I tried to pray. It didn't work out, right? I tried to be a better dad. I tried to be a better wife. It just, I, I'm trying. And, and that's where we end up a lot of times in life is we end up with this idea of, well, at least I tried. Listen, I want to get past trying. Yoda the great Jedi master said, do or do not, there is no try, right? Like, like we can't just try, we got to do it, man. Like, we got to make some changes, we got we to rebuild some stuff in our life. And so, so those are some of the problems I have with the book, is that they did a lot of good things, but in the end, it just didn't always work out. And that's how we are, we try hard, we, we, we write down at the beginning of the year, we write in our journal, these are the things I'm going to change, these are the things I'm going to stop doing, but by, you know, June... We're right back in those old habits. By June, we're right back in those old lifestyles. By, 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 by March, we've, we've picked up that sin again that we said we weren't ever going to do. You know, the, the, the areas that we said, we're gonna, I'm going you know, to take my wife on a date every Friday night. And then the first Friday in January, you miss date night. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like we struggle. We struggle to get through this stuff. And it's not for a lack of knowing what to do right? 
We know exactly what to do. It's about the long-term effects of it. And so some of the things that just kind of bother me that I, that I look at the book, and, and, and here's two things that bother me in the book. One, they have very emotional responses to God's word without having a lot of changes. So there's a part in there, I'm not going to give you all the specific verses because we'll get into that in the next couple of weeks. Again, I'm overviewing. But there's a part in here where Ezra gets up and he reads the word of God. And the Bible says his sermon is super long, so you guys should really enjoy me, right? But Ezra preaches the word of God for like all day, like all day. And people are standing up, listening to it all day. And at one point they begin to weep and cry because they realize how bad they've been. They realize all the stuff that they've missed in the word of God, all the commandments they haven't obeyed, all the lifestyle that they haven't lived. And they begin to weep and cry, but nothing changes by the end of the book. And there's another part in the Bible where they, where they dedicate the temple and they worship God. But in that dedication, in that worship, we just see a lot of joy and happiness. Again, not a lot of change. And it made me think about today and how churches have begun to go down one of two paths. It's like we have this one path where everything's emotional and it's big and it's wild and it's crazy. And there's people weeping and crying and shouting and dancing. And it's all the emotions on the spectrum And then they go home and they get on the phone and they gossip about the people in the service that weren't as emotional as they were. They cuss people out. They look at porn. They do all the things they shouldn't be doing. But they were emotional and that's good, but nothing changed in their life. Or we got another another wave of church, another stream of church consciousness where where it's all about making everybody feel so good. So, So in Ezra chapter 6, verse 16, Zerubbabel has built the temple. Check this out. The temple of the the, uh, temple of God was then dedicated with great joy by the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the people who had returned from exile. That's it. Now that's good. Don't get me wrong. Great joy. Yay. But there's no life change. By the end of the book, they got they've got enemies living in the temple. Like they've created a house in the temple, an apartment in the temple for one of Israel's worst enemies. They just let him come on in and live. There, there, there's no character. There's no moral code. It's just, it's just yeah, we got a good, we got a, had a good church service and we all felt good when we left. And it's like, that's, that's where our churches have gone. Either we're hyper emotional one way or the other, or we're just all about, let's just feel good and leave and, and, and we'll come back next week and feel good again. I'm not against emotion. I think emotion is good. God created emotion. God is emotional himself. I'm not against joy. I think joy is good and feeling good is good. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's got to be something more substantial to our worship. There's got to be something more substantial to our life. Look at Exodus chapter 40. I want you to compare. So the dedication of the temple in Ezra, everybody got joy. But look at the dedication of the tabernacle in the Old Testament when Moses first built Anything that they had to to worship God, it was called a tabernacle. It was basically a tent, right? No strong building, no walls. It was just a tent. Here's what it says. Then he hung the curtains forming the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar, and he set up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard. So at last Moses finished the work. 
Then look at verse 34. Then the cloud, talking about the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, or filled the tabernacle. Look at this. Look at the difference. In Ezra, everybody's just got joy and we're happy. In Exodus, the presence of God shows up to the point that not even Moses can fulfill his duties. Moses couldn't preach. He couldn't lead worship. He couldn't hand out communion. He couldn't do any of the things, take up offering. He couldn't do any of those things because God's presence was so strong in the tabernacle. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Solomon decides to build a temple. So they're they're tired of having a tabernacle. They're like, look, we don't want a tent for God anymore. We want a real building. In other words, it's kind of like us when we we got tired of being mobile and setting up, tear down in the PlayStation, and and we decided we got to get a real building, right? So we got a real building, and and so they did that. And so here's what happens, 2 Chronicles 7, 1 and 2. When Solomon finished praying, this is at the dedication of the temple. When Solomon finished praying, Fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple because the Lord, uh, temple of the Lord, because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. Again, so the tabernacle, God's presence shows up so strong that people can't even do their job. The temple, the first temple, God's presence shows up so strong people can't do their job. By the time we get to Ezra and the and the second temple, what happens? We're all filled with joy. You see the difference? Can you see the contrast? You see the problem I'm having with this, with this book of the Bible? I have this problem because I feel like, God, there's got to be something different for us. Man, if we come in and have an emotional response, that's great. But if it doesn't change my life, what good did it do? If I come in and we have a great worship service and, and, and I preach a good word and we all leave here exactly the same as we came in, just a little bit happier, then what good have I done? If I'm not being changed and you're not being changed and we're not being transformed by the power of God, if the presence of God isn't evident in our life and doing some work inside of us, then what are we doing? We're not doing something right. Nobody's really excited about that point. Next week, everybody's going to be sick. I'm just kidding. So, So if you try to find out what's the difference, like what's the difference in Ezra versus Moses versus Uh, Solomon's temple. What's the difference? Jesus has a good answer for us. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, and this is going to set up the rest of the message for us today. Here's what Jesus says. These people, he's quoting Isaiah. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands of God. So Jesus looks at, at the worship and he says, listen, here's the problem. Here's the problem. The problem is we've got all the man-made stuff we can imagine. We've got all the lights and the smoke and the stage and the music and the instruments. We've got everything. We've got the TVs that tell us what the next song is. We've got everything that we want. We've got the iPad to preach from. We've got all the good man-made stuff. And we're acting like that man-made stuff is what God wants. But really what God wants is our hearts. He says God's got our lips. And he's got our hands and he's got our feet and we can put on the show all day long. But what he really wants is he wants our hearts. That's what matters to God. That's what matters to God. And so today what I want to talk about is I want to talk about the heart. 
Because we're going to talk the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the actions, man. We're going to talk about the resolutions. We're going to talk about how can, we, how can we change some stuff in our life? How can we build up some stuff in our life? How can we protect some things in our life? We're going to talk about all that stuff. But you know what? None of that stuff matters if the heart doesn't change. What was the problem at the end of Nehemiah? Nobody's heart was changed. Sure, their habits changed, but habits only last for so long. Eventually, what's in the heart is going to come out. And so that's what Jesus teaches us in Matthew, 22, uh, Matthew 23, verses 25 through 28. Jesus teaches us this lesson, this truth here, that outer change has little value if the heart remains the same. Here's what Jesus said. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, you Pharisees, hypocrites. Jesus, I mean, he's a pretty tough preacher. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and dish but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. This whole series, we're going to focus on all the changes, but if we don't focus on the heart first, then everything else just becomes tradition and routine and rhetoric. It's not life-changing. We want life-changing. Yesterday, we took the dogs for a walk. Yesterday, yeah. Yesterday, we took the dogs for the walk, and I had... um, like an exercise cup, you know, the big, the shaker cup, I've got one on the front row, shaker cups, it's got a lid to it, big lid you unscrew, and, and so we take the dogs for a walk, and we forgot to bring the dog bowl, and so we get back to the car, and the dogs are just, you know, panting, and, and we forgot to bring a dog bowl, and I told Perry, I said, just take my cup, just unscrew the top, pour the water in the top of the cup, and let them lick out of the top of the cup, and so she did, and so their dogs are drinking out of the top of the cup, or whatever the lid, and so we put the top back on, we go back home, and we get to the house, and we get to the house, and I'm like, Look, I'm doing this water thing. I better drink as much water as I can. So I grab my exercise cup. I pop that lid and I just start guzzling that water. And Perry goes, did you clean out the inside of that cup since the dogs drank out of it? And I said, absolutely not. And I took the water and I just put it right back in the sink. And I'm done drinking that water. You know, so the outside of the cup can be fine. The outside of the cup can be clean. The outside of the cup can be pretty. But if the inside of the cup is contaminated, it contaminates everything that comes out of it. The outside of your cup can be clean and pretty. But if the inside is jacked up, whatever comes out of it is going to be jacked up. Proverbs 4.23, here's a couple of things that are a couple of verses that will help you understand how important it is that we get the heart right. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Your heart determines the course of your life. Luke 6.45, Jesus says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. An evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. That's why a lot of times... Uh, you know, you, when people talk, and they talk and they talk, and they come back and say, oh, I was just kidding. Oh, I was just kidding. You know what? At some point, they weren't just kidding. At some point, it's coming from their heart, whatever it is that they're saying. Matthew five sixteen and through 20, Jesus says this, don't you understand yet? Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. 
For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Jesus wouldn't have made it in the era of COVID. You have to wash your hands. But Jesus says, listen, man, it's what comes out of you, not what goes in you. They're so concerned about what you're eating and what you're... And Jesus is like, look, it doesn't matter what you eat. That's not the big issue. What matters is what comes out. What matters is what's flowing from your heart. So my question today, as we get started in this, in this idea of making some changes for the next year, what are the things that are coming out of your heart? Think about that for a minute. What are the things that are coming out of your heart? Is anger coming out of your heart? Is sadness coming out of your heart? Is depression coming out of your heart? Is negativity coming out of your heart? What are the things that you allow to come out of your heart? What are the things that, that, that kind of become who you are when no one else is looking around? Or whenever you get pressured or you get stressed, what are the things that come out of your heart? I tend to be a very calm person. I tell this to people all the time and they don't believe me. Um, but sometimes, sometimes I can have anger problems. Not very often, not very often at all. Uh, actually, I'm a very, very calm person when it comes to, to getting upset. But every so often, if I get pressed really hard, then all of a sudden it's like I can feel anger, right? So, so the question is sometimes, what happens, what comes out whenever you're pressed really hard? Whenever things are really against you? And that's going to determine, that's going to let you see kind of what's in your heart. I want to talk quickly before we, before we end. I'm, I'm going to end today with how God can make some changes in our hearts. But, but I want to talk very quickly about four types of heart. There could be multiple number of hearts. I just thought of four today when I was preparing this. And, and the first type of heart is a broken heart. You know, I think a lot of people nowadays are struggling with a broken heart. They're struggling with a broken heart. They've, they've been through divorce. They've been through death. They've been through sickness. They've been, um, <clears throat> they've been through quarantine. I, I, I've had some people tell me, not even, not even from this church, but, uh, so, so no one thinks I'm talking about them. Everybody always assumes that all of my illustrations are people in the church, and I just change the names to, um, to whatever it is, protect the innocent. But they're not innocent if I'm using them as an example, right? So it's really protect, change the names to protect the guilty is what it is. Um, but I did hear a story the other day of, of, a, of a young lady that had a baby and, and then told her own mother, you cannot see my baby until you're fully vaccinated. Now think about that for a minute. I'm sure the mom was like, I'll take whatever shots you want to give me as long as I can see my grandbaby. You know how mamas are with grandbabies, you know. But, but think about that for a minute. If, if that mama would allow that to hurt her, that can be a broken place in her life that my child would say that to me about my own grandchild, that I can't see my grandchild. This is, this is the way the world is, is spinning right now, is that we, we are breaking hearts all over the place. We just, um, we just recently had, this past week, one of our, one of our good friends, uh, Tommy, and I want to just honor him, uh, but, but Tommy Connor is a good friend of ours, good friend of the churches, actually, something you guys may not know, but like all of our sound system and all this setup, Tommy came in and did all of that for us. He put all this stuff in and helped uh, Pastor Jonathan install it all and get it all right. And he passed away totally unexpectedly this past week. And we were in the room, Pastor Jonathan and, and my dad and I were in the room um, with Tommy and, and the family and, and the, the family was amazing. Like Tommy's wife was just amazing. Like her she, she kept checking on us. How's, how's everybody doing? I'm like, look, we don't, don't check on us. What are you doing? You know, you're, you're struggling right now. And, and, and his daughter, Ashley, one of our good friends, um, she, you know, same way, just crying. But at the same time, 
thank you for being here. We love you so much and, and just wanting to talk to us and ask us about our families and stuff. And, and here's the thing. What can happen in a situation like that where a guy is taken suddenly, unexpectedly, they can become bitter in their brokenness. They get a broken heart. They become bitter. They get mad at God. They get mad at people. They, they get mad about everything. Now, this family, I don't think, has done that. They, they seem very solid. But that broken heart, what it does is whenever the Bible says that everything flows from your heart, all of your actions, all of your life flows from your heart, whenever you have a broken heart, it flows through the filter of pain. So now all of a sudden, it's not about, I know the Bible says to guard my heart, but it's not about guarding my heart. Now it's about hiding my heart, that I'm not going to let anybody else hurt me again. Have you ever said that to yourself? Don't raise your hands. But have you ever thought that? Like when you're hurt and you're broken, I'm never going to let this happen again. Somebody dies. I'll never get close to anybody again because I can't handle the pain. And so all of a sudden we filter everything through the, through the filter of pain because of a broken heart. A broken heart. Another heart we have sometimes is a material heart. And, and I, I couldn't think of a better term for this because really material is probably not the best thing I could say for this. Maybe it's more of a desire-driven heart. But this heart is all stuff Focus. It's all about, I want to change, I want to, I want to do better in 2022, but I won't give up my, you fill in the blank. Have you ever had that happen before? I want to make a change, I want to get on a budget, man, I got to get on a budget, but I'm not giving up my Starbucks, right? I want to do better with my eating, but I'm not giving up my McDonald's. And so we have these things that we, we are driven by desire, we're driven by material. So Mark chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus says this, or the Bible says this, as Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus says, only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Still, there's one thing you haven't done, he said. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. Notice Jesus didn't ask for him to have the money, right? He said, go sell all your money, to give, give, sell all your stuff, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, a man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Here's the problem. Here's what I want you to notice. The guy had everything. He had done everything right. He had all the outer um, appearances of righteousness and inheriting eternal life. He did everything he was supposed to do. He obeyed all the commandments. He went to church every Sunday morning. He went to small group. He went to youth group. He did all the things he was supposed to do. But when Jesus said, there's something in your heart that you haven't given me, your heart is material driven. Once you give away all your stuff, let's see what happens. And what does the guy say? The guy walks away and says, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't follow Jesus. Why? Because I love my stuff too much. For some of us, I don't think there's anybody in this room that would out, you know, come out and say, Gabriel, I love stuff too much to follow God. I don't think anybody in here would say that, right? But I think sometimes on the inside, on the inside we feel it. That there are things God might be asking you to do. There, there are levels that God may be asking you to go to. And one of the first things we think is, I don't know if I can give up what? give up my lifestyle? What if God were to, we, we always say this when I was a kid, when I was in youth group, it was like, what if God asked you to go to Africa? And I remember people saying, I can't go to Africa. I, I, I love my stuff too much. You know, I want my car. I don't want to go live out in the dirt somewhere. But, but the thing is, it's not all about Africa. Sometimes it's about, sometimes it's about America. Sometimes it's about 
your neighborhood. It's about Trustful. It's about Centerpoint. It's about Pelham. It's about Pinson. It's all, what if God's asking you to do something different, but your response in your heart is, I would do it, but I don't want to give up this. What if it's about your budget and God says, I want you to have, I want you to live on a budget. I want you to stop living in debt. I want you to get debt free. And, and I want you to have money to be able to provide for your family and have money to be able to give to the church or give to missions or, or whatever the case is. And, and what do we say sometimes? I just don't want to give up my shoes, right? I don't want to give up my whatever. And so some, sometimes our hearts are stuff-focused, material-driven. The third kind of heart is a hard heart. This is a heart that is just very stubborn, very stubborn, right? This is the kind of heart that says it's going to be my way or the highway, no matter what you say, you know? And so this heart says, I want to change, but I want to change on my terms, right? I want to change on my terms. So Perry and I were talking the other day, and, and she was like, so what is this thing you're doing? And I said, well, I said, you know, it's, it's, you're supposed to drink a gallon of water a day. You're supposed to work out twice a day, and, and, and you're supposed to, um, I don't remember what the rest is, stick, stick to a diet, you know? And she goes, yeah. I think I'm going to do that with you. I said, oh, yeah, okay, cool. She goes, but I, I'm not going to work out twice a day. I said, okay, okay. She goes, I might work out once a day. I said, okay, right, okay. And then she was like, and sticking to the diet thing, I'm just going to, oh, there she is right there. Golly, I thought she was gone. I thought she had to work the nursery today. Now I'm in trouble. I don't have on my glasses, and it just all of a sudden my mind just. But she was like, ah, I think on diet, I'm just going to eat all my protein and not worry about anything. And I was like, okay, fine, you do what you got to do. Oh, man, it just got hot in here. Oh. Oh. Does anybody want to adopt me? I, I wouldn't mind coming home with you today. But the idea is this. Sometimes we want things, but we want them on our terms. But when God speaks to us, it's not about, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do as long as I can do it the way I want to do it. But that's what we think. If we have a stubborn heart, that's what we think. We, 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 say, we tell God, I'll do anything you want me to do except... And if that's the way you approach God, I'm sorry, but you haven't given him your whole heart. The last heart is the calloused heart. And the calloused heart is a heart I see a lot today. I see a lot of the calloused heart in our, in our society today. The calloused heart is a heart with zero passion, zero life, and zero emotion. We talked earlier about how the, the Israelites had all the emotion in the world without any change. But listen, a life without emotion, a life without passion, that's a calloused heart. There needs to be a level of emotion. There needs to be a level of passion. Jesus was constantly, the Bible says, looking at people. The verse we just read, he looked at that young man with love in his heart. He looked at people with compassion, he says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He looked at people and had passion inside of him. There's an important part here. We say this. This is what the callous heart says. I don't care if I change or not. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. I've talked to some people about their their version of Christianity, and, and some people have this version of Christianity where nothing really matters. Nothing really matters. And the more I listen to them talk, the more it sounds very calloused and very hard that they don't really care about people that are going to hell because it doesn't really matter. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. We can't have a callous heart. We've got to have a heart that's sensitive to the lost, that's sensitive to the voice of God, that desires the presence of God above all else. So what do we do? What's our solution? Let me quickly give you the solution. And this is a solution. These are some scriptures that I think we can, 
we can um, apply to our life that will be good for us. The first thing we need to do is ask God to search our heart. We use this verse a lot, and I like the verse because I feel like it's the most, one of the most practical verses in the Bible when it comes to spiritual things. But Psalm 139, 23, and 24, the whole chapter is excellent if you want to go back and read it after service today. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. The first thing we got to do is allow God, ask God to search our hearts. Sometimes we got to say, God, what is my heart like? Do I have a callous heart? Do I have a hard heart? Do, 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 do I have a, a, a heart that, that, that's broken? Am, am I brokenhearted? Is everything that I'm doing through a life, of, through, a, through a filter of pain? Do I have a material heart? Am I always thinking about stuff instead of you? And so we begin to ask God to search out our heart. And listen to you. Listen to me real quick. When we ask God to search our heart, he will do it and he will reveal it. And we've got to be willing to take it. I think that's the hard part right there. I wonder about the Israelites. I wonder if they were approached, if they, were, if they had their hearts put back in their face and they chose not to do anything. I wonder if that's what happened to them. But there's been plenty of times, man, when I ask God, God, I need you to show me my heart. And you know what he does? This is the worst. This is so bad. He will show me sometimes through his word. I love it when he shows me through his word. He'll show me sometimes through my thoughts. He will speak to my heart. But the worst one is when he shows it to me through like my wife. And Perry will say, look, you're, you're wrong on this. And it hurts, man. It hurts so bad. Because as soon as someone else points it out, now all of a sudden I'm accountable to that person for it. And I believe God wants to show us what's in our hearts this year. And we got to be willing to take it. Even if it's from a loved one or a friend, we got to be willing to take it. Because if you ask him, he'll do it. The second thing we got to do is we got to give him our hearts. we got to give him our heart. Listen. Give him your broken heart. Give him your hard heart. Give him your material heart. He doesn't ask for you to give him a perfect heart. He asks for the worst heart possible. That's the heart he wants. That's the heart he wants. Psalm 51, 16 and 17. Now this psalm is written by David after David has just committed two terrible sins. David cheats uh, or, or, or takes another woman to, 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 into his bedroom he has sex with her, she gets pregnant, but she is married to somebody else. And when David realizes that he can't hide his sin because she's going to have a baby, and you can't hide that, then, then here's what happens. David has her husband murdered. This is terrible. This is terrible. And then God sends Nathan, David's friend, to point out his heart. And Nathan tells him this little story, and David gets mad, and, and Nathan says, in this story, you're the one with the bad heart. And so David begins to pray, he begins to seek God, and he writes Psalm 51 based on his sin, the revelation of his heart, and now how he can change it. Here's what he says in Psalm 51, 16 and 17, you do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. In other words, sacrifice represents worship. He's saying, you don't desire me going to church and raising my hands and dancing and singing and shouting. You're not desiring that, or I would do it, because David was good at that. You don't want a burnt offering. Verse 17, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. If you give him your heart, he'll never reject it. The third one is this. We have to allow God to change our hearts. 
Just a couple of quick verses and then we'll be done. Psalm 143, uh, 147.3 says, He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. So if you give God a broken heart, He can heal that heart. He can heal that heart. Listen, we've all been through pain. We've all suffered. We've all suffered loss. We've all suffered hurt. We've all been rejected. We've all had things happen to us that we wish would have never happened. And I went through years where I, would, I had been rejected and hurt and I walked in a lot of pain. And everything I did was through the filter of pain. I never wanted to commit in, in my job, in my ministry. I never wanted to commit. I never wanted to give everything I had because I knew what would happen. I knew I would feel pain. I never wanted to stay anywhere. I never wanted to settle down because I knew what would happen. I would feel pain. And it wasn't until Perry one day finally told me, she's like, she didn't say it in these exact words, but she told me, you got to give that pain, that broken heart to God. And you got to allow God to heal it. And I did. And my life was transformed from that point forward. Psalm 51.10, back to David's thought there. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. What does God want? God wants your sinful heart. Your murderous, adulterous, sinful heart. He wants it. No matter how bad it is, he wants it. Why? Because only he can create a clean heart inside of you. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. And this is where we're going to end the day. This is the one problem I have with Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel, they try to make all the changes in the physical. The problem is Ezekiel had already prophesied this years before. If they would have just gone back and read Ezekiel, it might have changed their approach. Here's what Ezekiel says. Verse 36, 25 through 27. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey all my regulations." Notice who's doing the changing. Notice it's not us doing the changing. God says, I will do this. I will cleanse you. It's not about all your new habits. It's not about how many times you read your Bible this week. It's about me having access to your heart. If you'll give me access to your heart, I will clean you and you will be cleaned. I'll do the work and you're going to receive it. Then he says this, I will give you a new heart. You know what my prayer is for 2022, guys? My prayer is for this week. God, give me a new heart. God, give me a new heart. Yeah, but Gabriel, you're the pastor. and Your heart should already be set. You should be ready to go. You know what? Just because I'm the pastor doesn't make me any different from you, except I get a microphone and you don't. I still want a new heart. I still want a new heart. Because there's been times of the last couple of years that my heart has been damaged. There's been times over the last couple of years my heart has become callous. There's been times over the last couple of years that my heart has thought about things and money and, and uh, possessions more than it's thought about what needs to be done, what really matters to God. And so I, I recognize the fact that I need a new heart. And you know what? I'll probably need a new heart tomorrow. I'll probably need a new heart next week. But if that can become my prayer, if that can become my, uh, I don't like to use the word mantra because we think of like some other religion, but, but if that can become what I stick with is God today, renew my heart, cleanse my heart, change my heart. Don't let me become hard and stony and calloused. 
Today, let me be sensitive. Sensitive to what? Sensitive to your voice, sensitive to your spirit. Notice he says this, and I will put my spirit in you. These guys, Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel, what did they want to do? They wanted everybody to follow God. I want you to follow his decrees. I want you to follow his word. Nehemiah shows up at the end of the book, and he's like literally pulling people's hair out, like like physically assaulting people because they're not serving God. And he says, follow the words of God. Like he's mad at them. But here's what God says. God says, I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. God says, before you start trying to build all the right habits and you start trying to do all the right things, focus on your heart and focus on my spirit living in you. That's why Paul says we need to walk according to the spirit, not the flesh. And the Bible says, God says this through Ezekiel. He says, if my spirit is living in you, then all the outer stuff will take care of itself. I will help you live out the life you're supposed to live, but you need to focus first on my presence in your life. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? Before we leave today, I want to pray, and I want you to, I want you to pray along with me. So let's close our eyes. Let's not look around. Let's get focused today. Don't worry about your kids. Don't worry about your spouse. Don't worry about your friends. Get focused on you today. In the first prayer, I want you to pray on your own. Because I want you to pray that first prayer we talked about. God, search my heart. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this place to search our hearts. The Bible says that you are the one, Spirit of God, that searches the heart of man and knows the heart of God. You understand the difference between my heart and your heart. And so I need you to search me today. I need you to search me today. I need you to look for anything in me that might offend you. I need you to look for anything in me that might be broken or calloused. Look for any area of my life where I focus more on material than I focus on spiritual. And so, God, today I just ask you, I just ask you to search my heart. Come on, church, you ask him. Reveal anything, God, that you want to reveal. And the next prayer is going to be this God, we want to give you our hearts. So maybe my heart has sin in it like David's. Maybe I've not served you the way I should. No amount of good habits is going to change the, the fact that I, I, I'm not serving you. And so today I want to give you my heart. God, we just present you our hearts. I just, I just give you my heart. Whatever area that you've just revealed to me, whatever area, God, that, that, that may not be right, I just want to present that to you. And God, I want you to know that you've got my heart. And there's going to be times this week that I'm going to try to take it back. There's going to be times this week that I'm going to try to do things on my own, that I'm going to be stubborn or I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be broken. But God, I just want to continue to give you my heart every day. Every day I want to present you my heart. Every day I want to give you my life. Every day I want to offer you a place in me where I can be cleansed, I can be changed, I can be sensitive, I can be responsive. So, God, we just ask that you would change our hearts. We give you permission, God. We open up the door today, God, that we're not going to hold anything back. Not that you need our permission, God, but we're not going to try to block you anymore. We're not going to try to hide our hearts, God. Yeah, we may guard it from sin, but, God, we're not going to hide it from you. And so, God, we want to give you everything that we've got. We don't want to be like Adam and Eve that sinned and went and hid in the bushes, God. We want to be open and honest in front of you. Spiritually, God, we want to give you everything that we've got. I want you to take my heart. I want you to heal it. Some of you today, right now, you've got a broken heart. You've got a broken heart, and you need God to heal it. 
If that's you today, I want you to begin to ask God right now, just God, heal my heart. Some of you, you've had that stubborn heart. You know you, like you know you. I want you to begin to ask God today. Ask him to give you a responsive heart that you're willing to respond to anything he says. For some of you, you've had a calloused heart. You just don't care anymore. You live a passionless life. You've been hurt so many times. You've seen so much stuff that you just don't have any, any passion anymore. You're, you're walking around with this callous heart. Here's what I want you to ask God for, a soft heart. God, give me a soft heart today. Maybe your heart has been focused on material. It's been focused on stuff. It's been focused on desire. It's been focused on me. Today, we need to have a heart that's focused on God. So God, give me a heart today that's focused. Give me a heart today that's, that's focused on you, that's focused on your presence, that's focused on your will. Your word says not to worry about anything, but to pursue your kingdom, to seek out the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else will come, but first we seek you. So God, today I want to have a seeking heart. Lord, we just ask today that for all of us, myself included, that this prayer, God, it wouldn't just fall on deaf ears, that this prayer wouldn't just hit the ceiling of this building, but God, that this prayer in the spiritual will have ramifications. God, that we're not going to go through this year just doing the right things, but never being changed. We're not going to go through this year just coming in, trying to be happy and walk out the door with a smile on our face, God, but we'll walk out the door with the presence of God. God, that we want to allow you to do whatever work you want to do in us this year. And if it hurts my feelings, then you got to hurt my feelings. God, if it makes me happy, then make me happy. But God, I just want to be closer to you. I want to serve you. I want to give you everything that I've got. So God, today we, we ask that you would do all these things that we just talked about. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.